As we think about moving forward in this year, we've talked about clarity all year long. And to be perfectly clear with you, God does ask something of you. Um, a lot of people want you to come to this easy believism religion where if you just pray this little prayer and bow your head and, and repeat these words, that's all God asks. And from now on, you can live your life the way you want to because you're forgiven and everything's under the blood. And if you go out and do whatever you want to do, there's no big deal. Well, let me tell you what Scripture says about that. Bam! Wrong answer. Jesus is Savior and Lord. It's not just about praying a prayer and saying these three or four little words and, and saying amen at the right time. It's about a relationship that you enter into with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And anytime you enter a relationship, relationships have, uh, they have a two-way flow. There are things that you ask of God and that you expect that God's going to be faithful in. And like the promises in His Word, you expect that what He said in His Word, He's going to keep. And that's a very safe promise to believe that, that it's going to be true. Because God is always going to keep his promises. The Lord's not slack concerning them, it says. But on the other side of that equation, there are things that God asks of you once you've become a believer, once you've become a child of the king. There are now expectations that God has of you as well. And among those expectations is that you have a commitment to the world around you as well. It's not just about accepting Jesus so that you get, a, get out of um, eternal suffering free card. It's not, a, it's not about a fire insurance policy. There's so much more to salvation than just that. There's now, as Paul talked about and we talked about in Sunday school this morning, an obligation that you have to bring that good news to other people, to share with them the truth of the gospel. And so as we think about this who's your one emphasis that the church is going to be going through over the next several weeks, I want you to think about that in light of the video that we're going to see now. We might have to restart it because I don't think the audio is up on the computer. Um, Corey, can you go help with that? Let me reset that. I'm sorry, I should have checked that with you before, Miss Sarah. My apologies. You know, th again, technology is wonderful. We always love it. All right, so while we're, while we're resetting that, I want you to talk, think for a moment about your one. Because chances are, a few moments ago, and I remember, if you remember last week, I asked you to do this too. Chances are, a few moments ago, when I talked about that one person that you know that needs um, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a name popped into your mind. And as you think about that one person, I want to ask you an ex a, a question. Do you believe that God can change their life? Do you really believe that God can change your life? Do you just hope that he can, or do you know that he can? Is there a firm, confident assurance in your mind and in your heart that God can change that person's life? Because I believe he can. And you know why I believe that? I'll tell you why, Brother Les, since you asked. I believe because he changed my life. As Paul talks about in the book of Romans, you're going to be studying that in Sunday school, and we didn't really spend a lot of time on this part, Brother Willie. I, I told Brother Willie when we were talking about that we're going to do Romans in one quarter of the Sunday school. There's no way. It's an impossibility. We're going to be bridging. We're going to be just touching the hem of the garment, if you will. But in, cha in chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the power of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. 
You see, the good news isn't wrapped up in your presentation. The good news is wrapped up in the truth of Jesus. And so when we share the gospel, we have to believe that the power that brought us salvation will bring others salvation. And so let's watch this video. Numbers. We live by numbers. We track and count and measure everything. And sometimes we think the only numbers that really matter are the big ones. But it's the single digits that make the difference. The Bible says that heaven rejoices with the number one. Yeah, heaven rejoices each time even one person comes to know Jesus. We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one coworker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before, but it all starts with one. I've got my one, and now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? Six years ago, we talked about one more. We're still talking about one more. Because the beautiful thing is each one of us comes to Christ one at a time. And one more is who God's looking for. And you have the opportunity to be used of God for that one more to come into the kingdom. But to do that, it's going to take a commitment on your part. It's going to take a decision. It's going to take a choice. It's going to take a, a firm, heartfelt knowledge that this is what God would have you do. And so I want to look at a, at a passage of Scripture today where we see some people who decide to bring one person to Jesus. You know, sometimes it takes more than one person to bring someone to Christ. I think back to my life. I remember as a young, young kid, I don't know, probably 10 or 11 years old, my uncle had gotten saved, and he'd come to the house, and he was, he'd gone to one of those churches that believed that after you get saved, you should go try and feed the Bible to someone. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to get saved whether you like it or not. Here, 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 here. And uh, my parents did not respond well to that. Uh, but he left behind a little red New Testament, like a Gideon's New Testament for me. And I thought that was cool. I never opened it, but I thought it was cool. And then um, I remember there was a church in, in my um, neighborhood that I grew up in. And they used to invite kids to come to Sunday school. And they would go around on Saturdays and they would give out bubble gum. But you only got a piece of bubble gum if you promised to ride the bus to church. And so if you got a piece of bubble gum, you were supposed to be waiting the next day outside and the bus was going to come pick you up. And their buses would come and they would bring all these kids to church. I remember going to church. I don't remember anything about it. I just remember going. All of these people along the way that had tried their best to share the gospel with me, each one of them had some impact. I don't know, um, at the, didn't know at the time what that was going to mean. But along the way, it made a difference. And so I want to look this morning at, at kind of a, a group effort, if you will, where a group of people made a decision to bring someone to Jesus. And watch what happened. The book of Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. When you get there, I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of his word. I realized as I was singing this morning and the Lord was working in my heart. I was like, I can raise my hands today because if it hurts, I'm going to get surgery tomorrow. <laughs> I 
I only have to live with it for a few hours. So uh, I hope that this morning, as God uh, speaks through me to you, that uh, that is the focus today. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. One day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men were carrying a bed, on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and set him down in front of him. But not finding a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles of the, with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who, who can forgive sin but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasoning, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your heart? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. And they were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen remarkable things today. No kidding. That's kind of the understatement of the year. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray this morning that as you speak to us, you would remind us of the obligation and the great gift we've been given. That we might share with others the hope that was shared with us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So as I said, part of being a believer, part of serving God involves a commitment on your part. Involves something from you to the Lord of the universe. Uh, uh, an expectation that he has of you. Now, how many of you, teenagers and kids, how many of you know that your mom and dad have expectations of you? Do they have to spell them out every day? Do they have to tell you every day you've you got to brush your teeth? Every day you've got to actually get dressed? The goal is to every day get your shirt put on, not inside out, right? I wasn't going to name names, Deanna, Luke. Um, the, the goal is to... Is, is to fulfill the commitments and the obligations that we have. How many of you that are married or have been married realize that the commitment that you made to one another involves some obligations on your part? If you don't know that, your spouse will remind you that it's not just a one-way street, that there are expectations there. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the commitment that it takes for you and I to fulfill the calling upon our lives to bring that one more person to Jesus. Now, we have been given the opportunity to represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords before a world that has no hope. There is brokenness all around us. And as we look at the brokenness all around us, we have the answer. And the question is, are we going to be willing to be bold enough to share that answer with others? So when you look at this story that I just read to you from the Scripture, it's not just some made-up story. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a fable. This is an actual gospel account, a, a written history of something that happened in the life of Jesus. And the story is this. Jesus is there in the city, and, and people from all over have come. And 
Um, they've gathered together and they want to hear, about, hear from Jesus. And not only do they want to hear from him, but the scripture says the power of the Lord was, a, was there to bring healing. And so there was a physical manifestation of the power of God working through Jesus in their midst. People's lives physically were being changed. People that maybe had been uh, blind, now were seeing. People that maybe had had um, a paralysis or some kind of an injury or something, they were being made whole. And people from all over were coming because such an amazing thing was happening there in this place. Now, I don't know which city, and the Bible doesn't really talk clearly about exactly which city he's in, but it's somewhere there in Galilee. And, and again, having been to Jerusalem or, or to Israel recently, we realize how they built cities over there. And the cities were basically built almost on top of each other. The, the streets are narrow and the, and the alleyways are smaller. I mean, when you get to old town of Jerusalem, um, those streets are, are wide compared to what they are in some of the cities of Galilee. And basically, it's like walking through, you know, just a crowded thing. That reminds me of Mark Lowry was talking one time. He said um, he went to the doctor, and the doctor was, was told him that he had a problem with his cholesterol. His cholesterol was too high. And Mark Lowry said, what do you mean it's too high? He said, it's, the numbers are way off. He said, your blood vessels are bumping into each other, or, or your, your blood cells are bumping into each other. He said, well, that's the way I like it. I want to be, pardon me, excuse me, coming through. <laughs> that's kind of what it was like when you were walking through these towns. You know, if you were a big guy like me, you were probably going to have to do like this down some of the streets. Because the reality is there was just no room. And so picture just um, a bunch of people crammed in a room like this. This would be uh, about a city block in some of those towns. And hundreds of people from all around have gathered, and Jesus is there in the middle of them in the house. And there aren't no windows. There are openings in the walls of the house so that sound can come out, but there aren't windows, so they didn't have to open the windows. And so Jesus is in there, and he's teaching, and they're trying to bring people in. And you can just picture the, the crowd, can't you? I mean, imagine, if, if you will, uh, that, that it's your loved one that's hurting, that it's your loved one that's having trouble, and you want to get them to Jesus because you know Jesus has the, the power of the Lord is upon him to heal, and you know that in this moment th that they could, be see, they could be made whole. And so everybody's trying to get their loved ones to Jesus. And among those are also now all these religious leaders and, and these, these important people in the church. You know, you've met those kind. They stand differently. They talk differently. They have their place. And they're there. And they're not moving. Are you kidding me? This is my pew. Look on the back of it. The name's there. That's kind of the, the imp and so you've got all these people crammed in here, these important self-righteous people, these people that are hurting and trying to bring their loved ones to them. All of this is going on, and in the midst of that, here comes some guys. They come, and they were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were bringing him in. Now, I don't know what that would have been like. I can't imagine in that crowd trying to get through holding a stretcher. We don't know. We always assume four people, right? One on each corner. We don't really know how many there were. But, but all these people, they're carrying, and they're, here they're walking, and excuse me, coming through. I got this. You can't even make the corners with a stretcher in some of those places. And so here's this guy. He has no way to get to Jesus except that someone 
would have enough commitment to bring him there. So the question I have for you this morning is, are you committed to bringing someone to Jesus? These guys were committed. They made it their mission to get him there. They were committed to bring him to Jesus. They wanted him to be in the presence of the one who could heal. The crowded streets were an obstacle. The self-righteous were an obstacle. The other hurting people were obstacles. But they were committed enough to do whatever it took to bring this man to the only hope that he had. Are you that committed? You know, I asked you to not only pray for someone, but to offer to bring them to church on Sunday, on Easter Sunday. What if they live across town? Are you, are you committed enough to go get them? What if it disrupts your routine? Are you committed enough to go get them? What if you have to talk to them several times to get, convince them to come? Are you committed enough? You see, these guys were committed. They were so committed that they picked him up and brought him to Jesus. And that's what I'm asking you to do. In order to bring people to Jesus, it takes a commitment. But not only that, I want you to notice something else about them. They were creative. Who would have thought to climb up on the roof? I mean, if I, first of all, Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always. And so I don't do heights. But now picture the, the scene again. It's a crowded area. There's people everywhere. There's the important people. There's the hurting people. There's the people that are worried about the hurting people. All of these people are gathered around, and there's these guys carrying a man on a stretcher. And one of them thinks, well, let's just climb up on the house. Now, kids, I've gotten in a lot of trouble climbing up on houses. I won't tell the stories because I don't want to give you ideas. <laughs> but these guys, in their minds, they thought, I know what we should do. We should climb up on the roof. Now, Brother Paul, that would be innovative enough. But I want you to answer a question for me. How do you lift a stretcher onto the roof? How, I mean, who gets to be on the bottom pushing? And how does the guy not slide off and hit you in the face? They had to do some thinking here. They had to think outside of the box. They had to try and be creative in the way that they were going to do this to make it happen. And listen to me. When the way is blocked and you're trying to bring someone to Jesus, try being creative. The story is told of the CEO who gathered all of his people together in the room, all of his executives together in the room. He gave them all a piece of paper. He says, here, I want you to take this piece of paper and do whatever you have to do. We want to see which one of y'all can throw this piece of paper the farthest. And all of them took them, they balled them up, and they just reared back and threw them across the room. And then the CEO took his piece of paper, folded it into an airplane, and sailed it. Thinking outside of the box. Doing something that's unusual. Did you realize that actually caring enough about people to invite them to church and then offer to go get them as unusual? Isn't that sad? Isn't it sad to, that, to say that there are people out there that would come if you would invite them? There are studies that have been done over and over and over again that a lot of people, if you will invite them, if you will offer to bring them, they will go. It's amazing to me. And you, and you think, well, why don't we do it? 
because we're not creative enough. We listen to the first excuse and we throw in the towel. Man, these people looked and they saw the way blocked. They saw that there was no hope in their own. They, they realized that what they were doing wasn't working. And so they said, let's try something different. Oh, but pastor, we've never done it that way before. We've always done it this way. I am so glad I don't hear that in this church. Maybe you say it, I just don't hear it. Listen, be creative. Care enough to do something different. Maybe that means being willing to sit in a different spot. <gasps> You've gone to meddling now, preacher. Maybe that means letting a bunch of kids up on the stage leading worship. All right, Corey, you're not quite a kid anymore. But which one of us would have thought to climb up on the roof? I'm glad somebody did. And I'll bet you that the man that was laying on the stretcher was glad somebody did. He probably wasn't all that happy about it in the moment. But man, the results were amazing. So be committed. Be creative. Thirdly, be courageous. Listen, guys. They didn't just climb up on the roof. They cut a hole in it. They cut a hole. That wasn't their house. Imagine you're the homeowner inside. You're standing there next to Jesus. You're all excited. Jesus is in my house. All these amazing things are happening in my house. And the first piece of plaster hits you in the head. What in the world is going on up there? And in a hole. Somebody cut a hole in my roof. Who did that? What, what are they? Huh? Hey, get out of the way. Something's coming down. That took some courage, guys. Somebody's going to have to pay for that hole. Right? They were willing. They were so committed. They were so creative. They were so courageous that they did whatever it took to bring someone to, to Jesus. Well, if somebody would happen to fall through my sunroof on the way to church, then I'd probably bring them. Right? Come on, guys. Think about this. Think about what opportunity we've been given to bring people to Jesus. They had the courage to take a drastic step, and that drastic step connected to the hearts of Jesus. I want you to read with me what happened next. Verse 19, not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. And seeing his faith, right? No. Seeing their faith. Jesus saw that someone cared enough about this man to be committed and to be creative and to be courageous. And he saw their faith. And Jesus responded to the faith, not of the man, but of his friends who were willing to do whatever it took to bring them to Jesus. And listen, when you and I first came to Jesus, we did not come with our faith. 
Someone else's faith brought us to Jesus. I didn't wake up the morning of December 7th, 1986 and say, today I'm going to enter into a relationship with the King of Kings. No. Somebody cared enough about me to invite me to go to church so that I could hear the truth of the gospel and that truth of the gospel penetrated a sin-sick heart and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. But it wasn't because I started it. It was because God sent someone to me who exercised their faith and were willing to do what it took to bring me to Jesus and in bringing me to Jesus, my life was changed. Jesus saw their faith. Seeing their faith, he acted. Now, this is a side note. Teenagers, young people, listen to me. This is very, very important. Does it matter who you hang out with? Man, for this guy, it sure did, doesn't it? His friends cared enough to pick up his stretcher, climb up on the roof of a house, cut a hole in it, and drop him down plumb in front of Jesus. I mean, they couldn't have pictured it any better. Literally, can you just, Jesus is teaching, the roof starts crumbling, the, door, the, the hole is open, here comes, I mean, it's almost like the, 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 the account Peter saw of the, of the rug being lowered, and here comes the stretcher right down in front of him, and right in front of Jesus, the scripture says. They didn't bring him to the religious, holier than thou folks that were gathered. They brought him to the source of hope. They brought him to Jesus. And in doing that, it stirred compassion in Jesus' heart. And Jesus looked at him. And in the midst of that moment, as they, were, as they were bringing him to Jesus, he says these words, friend, maybe your scripture says man, different translations have it different ways. I love the concept that the New American Standard says. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Wow. Your sins are forgiven you. Now his buddies were probably thinking, um, thanks Jesus, but he's paralyzed. I brought him to you for something else. Listen, you don't ever know what God's going to do when you bring someone to him. Sometimes God starts with a healing of one way, and then he works a different way. In this instance, Jesus went straight to the question of what the man really needed. And in your mind, that person that you're thinking about that you know needs Jesus, you probably have in your mind, there's something in, in their life that I wish God would change. Because you know what we do? We want to fix people, right? Uh, that I wish they wouldn't be so annoying. If they come to Jesus, maybe they won't be so annoying. Or maybe if they're a drug addict, maybe if they come to Jesus, they won't be a drug addict. Or maybe if, if, if they have a problem with, with, um, with, with, with living a loose life, then maybe if they come to Jesus, they'll become faithful to their spouse. Or, or maybe if they have a problem with, with throwing their money away and gambling, then, then if they come to Jesus, they'll stop doing that. And all of these symptoms of the problem are what we are focused on, but the reality is the, the real problem is they need forgiveness for their sins. They don't need their life reformed. They need their life transformed. 
And the only person that can change a life is Jesus. And when, in humble faith, we bring those that we care about to Jesus, what He cares about is their eternity, much more than their present. I don't know, maybe if Jesus had, if the Pharisees and those who had gathered there, maybe if they hadn't complained about um, Jesus saying he's going to forgive the sins, maybe that guy would have been carried out of there on a stretcher. Because Jesus didn't immediately heal him physically. You realize that? He, he said you're forgiven of your sins, but the dude was still on the stretcher. And so the biggest issue that Jesus was concerned about was not the physical. It was not the things that we focus on. It was the heart issue. Guys, don't bring someone to Jesus expecting him to fix them into what you think they should be. Bring them to Jesus because you know they need salvation for their souls. Don't get your motives mixed up and think that your whole purpose in this is so that they'll turn out to be good little faithful Baptists. Oh, we don't need that, guys. We need people whose lives have been transformed by the power of the gospel because they have encountered the living Lord. Bring them to Jesus. It's not ours to determine what God should do, but to honor him in all that he could do. Now, it wouldn't be a, true, a full story if I didn't get into the next part. There were Baptists in the room. These people were committed. They were creative. They were courageous. Jesus showed compassion, and somebody complained. It was the cold water committee. What do you mean, Jesus? His sins are forgiven. Who do you think you are, God? Yeah. What gave it away? I mean, they kind of answered their own question. Who do you think you are? Like you're healing people or something? Yes. Like you're changing people's lives? Yes. Like you were born of a virgin? Yes. Like you fulfilled tons of scriptures and prophecies? Yes. Like the Spirit of God descended upon you like a dove at your baptism? Yes. They're complaining that this man's biggest need had been met. Who can forgive sins but God alone? No one, which is why he did it. Notice who complained, not the man who was paralyzed. If anybody in the room had the right to fuss, it was the dude who was still on the stretcher. You mean you brought me to Jesus, my sins are forgiven, but hello, I still can't get up. If anybody had a right to complain, it was him. If anybody else had a right to complain, it was the guys who were the ones who cut the hole in the roof and had to pay to fix it and lowered the guy down. They came expecting him to be healed. That didn't happen. They didn't get what they were looking for. If anybody had the right to complain, it was him or them. But no, who complained? Those who were already self-righteous. Mm. Help us, Lord. Listen. When you start being committed to bringing people to Jesus, when you start showing creativity and courage, 
when Jesus' compassion begins to show in the lives of people that you care about, there are going to be people who don't understand why you believe that Jesus could change that person. And they're going to look at you and think, couldn't you have had a different one? Don't let it deter you. In the face of that criticism, in the face of that complaint, look at what Jesus did. Verse 22, Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your heart? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Get up and walk? Which one's easier to do? You're right. Just get up and walk. I mean, he's been doing that, right? He's been healing people. They've been watching him do that. That was nothing. That didn't threaten them. Oh, but when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you, he was upsetting the apple cart. And now it was no longer about their position and their authority and their ability to control people's lives. It was about a God who had come to rescue people from their sin. And that was a completely different ballgame. It keeps on, he says, but just so that you'll know. In other words, Jesus is saying, I don't want there to be any misunderstanding here. You want to see something? Watch this. Just so you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. Immediately. <laughs> I love that, Brother Willie. You've seen those people, I can't do it, but you've seen those people that are laying on their back, and all of a sudden they just poof, and they pop up onto their feet. I'm picturing that. The guy's standing there, and he just hops up onto his feet, grabs his stretcher, and he does the George Jefferson. He has been healed. His body has been made whole. He has never walked before, and he's not wobbling. He's strutting his stuff because the power of God has been made known in his life, and he is showing them the very power of God, not only to heal, but to bring salvation to mankind. God didn't halfway heal him. He didn't get up with knobbly knees. No, he stood up and he walked. That's the power of God. That's the power that we operate in. That's the power that we have available to show to others. That's the completeness of the gospel. God changes things completely. And to prove it, ta-da. Now, everybody in the room looking around, verse 26, they were struck with astonishment. I wonder why. They began glorifying God. They were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. Completion had come. Forgiven and healed. It's like Jesus said, bam! You want to see it? Bam! Here it is. You want to see the power? Bam! Here it is. Listen, if you are courageous enough to bring someone to Jesus. And they come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. It is a bam moment. Their life changes. Completely changes. So, who's your one? Who's your one? The issue isn't should I? The issue is, will I? 
The gospel is very clear. Go ye therefore into all the world. He didn't say some of ye. He said all of ye. Go ye. Get out there and make a difference. Bring them to Jesus. I don't know what it's going to look like in the life of each one of these ones. But I do know this. Whatever God brings about will be complete and total salvation in their lives if they will give themselves to Jesus Christ. Now, some of you were invited today. Some of you were brought here. Some of you, kids, you've got a drug problem. Your parents drug you to church. Maybe you came because you wanted to. Maybe you came because you had to. But somebody cared enough about you to bring you to hear about the one who came to die for you. Somebody cared enough about you to say, yeah, you may not be happy with me afterwards, but for now, I want you to know that I've climbed on a roof, I've cut a hole, and I've brought you to the only one that can help, no matter what's wrong. And I believe that he is able. Would you turn your eyes to that one? Would you look to the one who is able? You know that the world can't solve it for you. You've tried that. You know that the things of this world don't satisfy. They don't last. They're not fulfilling. They're just empty ultimately. Would you turn your heart to Jesus? If you would do that, much like Jesus said to this man, your sins will be forgiven you. Well, you don't know what I've done, Pastor. So? God does. And He still says, come. God loves you. Not because you're perfect, but because He is. And He doesn't need you to be perfect to convince Him to love you. He just desires a relationship with you. Would you turn your heart to Him? Would you say to Him, Lord... I believe. I believe that you love me. I believe that you gave yourself for me. And I believe that that's all I really need is a relationship with you. And I want it. If that's your heart, in just a few moments, I'm going to be standing here in the front. Pastor Corey's going to be here. Would you come to the front and take our hands and say, I, I want to know Jesus like this man got to know him. I want to know what it's like to have my sins forgiven and to be set free. Maybe you've been struggling with sharing the gospel. Commit yourself. God will help you to be creative and courageous enough to bring him or her to the one who has compassion to bring complete healing life-changing, eternity-setting relationship. Father, this morning, we know that you have all power. We know that the power of the Lord is there to heal, but not just physically, Father, but to heal lives that have been separated from you by sin. 
I thank you, Father, that in the midst of all the physical healing, your first response was to show this man a grace that would change his eternity. Lord, would you help us to be faithful, to do that which you've asked of us. And Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, has never received that gift of forgiveness, Lord, give them the courage to seek that and to receive it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.